Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Miss Congeniality. After a little hiatus, I am so excited to be back today with an amazing episode about all things New York City, and I have a listener call-in from the ever-wonderful Spencer, and he's going to talk about all of his work as a drama therapist. It's incredible. That'll be at the end of the episode. But before we even do updates, before we begin, I wanted to give a brief disclosure. The episode's going to be all about New York City, and my recs for New York City, I've lived in New York City like for three and a half years. I did one, um, I did like a summer, and that's like, I guess, or maybe it's two and a half, whatever, whatever it is. I've lived in New York City for a chunk of time, plus I also did a summer, um, and I want to make it very clear that I'm not a New York City native. I didn't grow up here. We'll get into where I grew up and everything, and I want to point your direction toward a lot of discourse online about the way that privileged white people specifically will come move to New York City in their 20s to experience the city and lead a very romanticized, privileged, wealthy version of their life here, sort of as like a stop in between, um, in between college and kind of, quote, settling down and being, quote, serious in the suburbs to go raise somewhere, a family somewhere else. We hear a lot of commentary like, oh, it would not be safe to raise my kids in New York. Obviously, that kind of discourse can be conflated with a lot of micro microaggressions. And maybe it's not obvious because I don't think it was necessarily immediately obvious to me, but I want to make it very, very clear that I'm aware of that discourse. I would really recommend that everybody go look in the direction of it. My eyes um, were opened up to opened up to this discourse online. Um, and I think it would have been really easy for me to just move here and act that way and ignore sort of all of the communities and the fabric that make up and sustain New York City that I'm profiting off of and also like enjoying at the expense of. Um, I think Gaia on TikTok is a really good resource. She's one of the people that really opened up my eyes to these problems and also pointed me in the direction of mutual aid. So please definitely look at her content. Also get involved with mutual aid and community activism. Some examples, I post a lot on my Instagram about Washington Square Park mutual aid. You can donate to them. They have a Venmo. I Venmo them weekly, but also you can go and drop things off. You can volunteer with them. There's Upper Manhattan Mutual Aid, New York City Mutual Aid. We're going to talk today about the Hedrick Martin Institute, which is an institute for LGBTQIA plus youth. Spencer talks about it. He works there. So I'll point you in the direction of them. At the end of the episode, I'm going to start volunteering with them. There's the Community Kitchen of West Harlem. There are a ton of opportunities to get involved with your community. Please do not move to New York and profit off of these communities without also giving back to them or recognizing what they're going through and giving what you're able to give, whether that's time, volunteering, supplies, money, food, Etc. There's always, you know, something that I know you guys can give. So I wanted to give that disclosure and point you toward that discourse. I don't even think it's necessarily my discourse to have, but because I am one of those people that moved to New York City as a privileged white person and I am profiting off of New York City as a place, as my career, I think it's really important that I'm giving back to community aid and getting myself involved as much as possible. So I wanted to make sure I said that before we get started with the episode. Okay. Now we're going to get into updates, which I'm so excited about. Uh, it's been two weeks, so there's plenty of them. I think the last time we talked to was my birthday, and it was just really nice. I said to you guys, I was just doing a little dinner. My brother planned the whole dinner, um, invited everybody, did the menu, did everything. It was really great of him that he did that. It was like 10 of my closest friends from high school and college and grad school. Just a really intimate group of people that I haven't seen in a while. I think you guys know I've been saying this a lot, but I've been very isolated um, socially because I've been writing, writing, writing. My deadline is technically, I keep saying my due date because it makes me sound like I'm pregnant and I have baby fever. So I have baby book fever. Um, my deadline is October 15th and I want to be done by September 15th because I want to have a month to 
edit and the editing is really important to me and I would actually like to have more than a month if possible. So I'm sort of in crunch time because I have seven chapters to go or six chapters and probably like six weeks to write them. So I think it was really nice to see people that I haven't seen in a while that really mean so much to me and have been such an integral part of my life. And then also just having those people all together around the same table was just really special. And then I went home for the weekend and we literally just read books and swam in the pool and tanned. And it was really nice and just I don't know. It was a really great weekend of relaxation and rest. I didn't go out. I didn't do anything too crazy. It was blissful. I didn't get hungover. It was my fucking dream. And then on Monday and Tuesday, I went to the Cynthia Rowley surf camp. So much fun. And now I'm 100% going to take surf lessons, which my dad is so excited about because if you guys don't know this, my dad grew up surfing. He's a surfer, loves to surf. And he's always been trying to get me and my brothers to surf. And my brothers are pretty good. I was always scared of it, but I really liked surfing, like dead ass liked it. I think I'd have so much fun doing it. I'm 100% going to do it in Puerto Rico the next time I go, which is hopefully in September, fingers crossed. And it was just a really, really fun day. And then Carly Jazz, Hallie and I decided to stay for an extra night just because we hadn't seen each other, the four of us, in a really long time. And I just wanted to give them like a blissful shout out because they're just such good fucking friends. And it was really just, it was such a happy time for me to just kind of like relax for two days and be around people that I care about so much who also care about me so much. And I think um, it was some Tony Award speech like two years ago, one of the like lead actor winners said, you have to surround yourself by the people who cheer the loudest when you win and you have to cheer for them that loudly back. And I feel like that is the perfect way to describe my friendship with the three of them. Like I cannot explain to you guys how fucking supportive they've been through every step of the way. And like we played a lot of card games and stuff and we were talking about like wins that they have that aren't my wins to share, but like just things that they're really proud of themselves for. And like, I just couldn't be more proud of them. It's going to make me cry. And like they're going on this trip to Europe and they started a podcast. So please, please, please go and support them. Go watch their content. It's going to be so funny. And I'm going to see them tonight because it is Ruby's birthday. So I'm very excited about that. I have a busy day, but it will end with friends, which is the best way it could possibly be. Um, and then the week we got back, we stayed an extra night. It was really fucking fun. Um, I love Montauk. My cousins live there like full time. So it was really fun to like go back to some spots that I used to go to with them. And then I came back and I had Rachel's birthday, who's my roommate and best friend on the weekend and we just had the best fucking time we got these karaoke mics for our apartment i can't recommend them enough like it was the epitome of time flies when you're having fun like we started singing in the karaoke mics at 7 p.m and i looked up and it was one in the morning we did that on friday and saturday i also had a family reunion on saturday during the day which was really nice and like my extended family got to meet my boyfriend which was like really great i think that they all thought it was kind of funny because they had been like watching him online with me for like a year and a half and i'd never met him in person so that was like really wonderful and great and this weekend i'm going to houston texas so i'm super excited i've spent a lot of time in austin and you guys know that it's one of my favorite cities i'm obsessed i haven't spent a lot of time in houston and that's like actually his hometown so i'm really excited to sort of like i don't know i think it's really special when you're in love with someone and then they bring you somewhere really um important to them or like integral to who they are and their upbringing and they get to like drive you around and be like that was my middle school oh my god one time at that 7-eleven this crazy thing happened or like that's the pizza place we would go to every thursday night as a family like that kind of stuff makes me so emotional because it's like i'm i'm seeing through like i'm i'm seeing who you were 
And like, I'm seeing the person that I fell in love with now as a 10 year old. And it's like, I don't know, it's very intimate. So we're going to do that. And I'm really excited. And by the time you're listening to this, I'll actually be there. So it's going to be so fun. We have a busy, busy weekend planned, but a little bit of an R&R time as well. Apparently, it's going to be hot as sin there. And I don't like hot weather. But hopefully, there will be a great deal of air conditioning and better air conditioning than there is in New York City right now, because man, it is hot here too. Like I just got here um, to the studio and I feel like I'm running on a mile a million miles a minute because I had to get out of my uber because I was nauseous and also because I was going to be late and I had to run here and it's 95 degrees and I'm just like wow it's only noon so August August is not slipping away like a moment in time as Taylor Swift should have and could have suggested it did it is feeling interminable but it's only the third day so maybe the heat will break Anyway, maybe it's not hot where you guys are. I don't know where you guys are. Sometimes I'm like, send me a selfie of you listening to the podcast. Actually, let's do this. This week, when you're listening to the podcast, do like a be real moment and send me a selfie of yourself listening to the show and like geotag it. Show me where you're at because I want to see where you guys listen from because I'm talking like New York fucking city where it's hot as balls and it smells like garbage. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're up to and I would love to. Maybe you're in Texas. Maybe you'll be listening and we'll be in the same area. And if you see me in Houston, please, please, please say hi. Unfortunately, no meetups, nothing like that. That's like not my trip to do this. This is like a hometown visit and I've come before, but I haven't come for this like... um, I don't know. I actually have come for this period of time. I don't know what I'm saying. I've been like two or three times. This is my fourth time. Um, But please say hi. If you see me out and about, that's always welcome. But I won't be doing any like formal meetups or anything. We'll save that for another trip. Okay. What else on the update list? Um, I'm in my reading area again. I go through phases. But like when I started writing this book, I was like, I give the advice that every writer needs to read more than they write. And I don't even like I can't I don't have time to read. Like I always said shit like that. So I just stopped watching TikTok. I was like, this is actually filling my brain with bullshit anyways to watch TikTok for three hours every night. I'm going to read instead. I have been fucking flying through books. Emily Henry. mm. If you haven't read it, you have to. Book lovers. Now I'm reading Beach Read. Is it called Beach Read? I don't know what the name is, but I read Book Lovers. The sex scenes, oh my God, she writes like such smutty little fiction that I'm fucking obsessed with. And then I was like, okay, I'm in my reading era. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to get a Kindle. And you know who I blame? I blame the ladies at Morning Toast because when they talk about their Kindles and then they post what they're reading, they're talking about how fast they're reading, they're talking about the Kindle Oasis. I started thinking about it. I was like, do I need a Kindle? Because I'm traveling a lot in the month of August and I don't want to lug around books because my ADHD brain, I always had to be reading three things at once. Like I need a nonfiction book and two fiction books in a rotation because I can't focus. So I was like, what if I had a Kindle because it would make traveling easier because I wouldn't have to lug around like five books at a time. And then I was like, okay, that could be a good idea. Then I asked you guys and everybody on Instagram was like, you need a Kindle. Like the Kindle literally changed my life. So now I got a Kindle, but I haven't like, I haven't like like zhuzhed her up yet like I haven't like put any books on her yet because I had just bought a bunch of books <laughs> so as you can see I'm a mess um but if you have book recommendations let me know and I'll keep posting my recs as I'm reading and I think like I have to blame my friend Julia hi Julia if you're listening to this you better be bitch anyways <laughs> just kidding I love you Julia she got me books for my birthday and that's my favorite gift in the world so did my grandma and she got me fiction books and I've been reading a lot of nonfiction lately and she got me back into the fiction thing so it's actually her fault that I bought a kindle her and the ladies at morning toast I blame you and thank you as well um the other rec that I have oh rex well I guess that's a rec kindle um book lovers and beach read by Emily Henry I've been listening to the Giggly Squad podcast with Paige DeSorbo and Hannah Burner. I spend a lot of time like on walks, cleaning up, doing shit that I need something in my ear. And I love to listen to podcasts. I listen to um, Girls Gotta Eat Pretty Religiously. Um, and I listen to the Morning Toast. And I was like, okay, I need a new podcast. Like I like 
literally need something else to add into my rotation because there's just too many hours in the day and not enough podcasts so my best friend kelly recommended giggly squad and they started listening to it and it's fucking funny the most recent episode hannah burner like has a dm interaction with Haley bieber and it's literally so hilarious like i i'm not gonna spoil it because i feel like it would be spoiling a movie like I listened to the episode before Kelly did and I texted her and I was like, I'm not going to spoil this for you, but like you need to go listen to it. Like say I need to talk, talk to someone about it. I could make a full fucking podcast talking about other people's podcasts. And like, that would be podception. Can you guys make a podcast talking about mine? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not that vain. Anyway, giggly squad, another wreck, third wreck J crew. Okay. She's back. She's bouncing back. She's coming back. I'm on their PR list and they send me fucking mass amounts of clothes. It's so nice. I have donated so many items of clothing to make room for my new J crew stuff. But like, it is giving like coastal but chic grandmother milf. Like I'm loving the sweaters. I wish it was I got a silk slip dress that I might wear to Ruby's birthday tonight. Like I'm it's I'm in my J Crew era and I can't recommend enough run. Don't walk to their website. Also, hot tea, hot take. JCrewFactoryOutlet.com always has the best sales. Um, my last update is that we just hit one year in my apartment. Um, and we re-signed our lease because we just love where we live so much. I live with my two best friends, Kelly and Rachel. And I don't know. I, I think it's crazy because I think back to like when we moved in, I was working this journalism job and I don't know, like my life looked a lot differently than it does now and not a bad way. Like I, I just think back like really emotionally to, to a year ago and that time in my life. Um, and just how much I love my roommates and how much I love where we live and how special it is to me. And yeah, I don't know. Like I think when I think about what's going to happen in the next year, like I'm going to edit my book. And then by the time I'm moving out next July of my current apartment, I'm going to be getting ready for my book tour. Wow. <laughs> like, and the book being released and all of that. So like this next year is like, I, I couldn't feel more lucky to have this as a home and I'm not trying to think too far into the future and just trying to live and soak up every moment of living with my friends because who knows like what's coming next, who knows like where I'm going to live or with whom. Um, I don't think I could live by myself. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like I'm pretty aware of the fact that like if I lived by myself, I would introvert the introverted introvert like I would literally never go outside and I would get a dog and I would just like sit in my my room and like not do anything I'm trying to convince um certain a certain someone in my life to let me have a dog and keep it at his apartment when he moves out of his current apartment his current apartment can't have dogs I just can't have a dog in mine it's not big enough and so I was like okay what if I got a dog and you kept it but I don't think that's gonna fly because like that's a lot but I do think that when I move out of this current apartment and into a future apartment, maybe right before or right after the book tour, I'm going to get a dog and I'm thinking about what kind of dog I've been looking at rescue opportunities. I might even get an older dog, like a five or six year old dog and rescue one of them because I don't know. I just think that's a really sweet thing to do. And like they need homes and I'm going to name um, the dog Phoebe. And yeah, I mean, we're going to name the dog Phoebe. He has no say. Actually, he has say if he wants it, but he likes the name Phoebe because we've decided there are a lot of nicknames. I've been rambling. You guys want the meat of the episode. I know that's what you want. That's what you always want. That's a lie. I think you guys like hearing me talk about nothing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Literally DM me right now and be like, no, we like hearing you talk about nothing or like, or get to the point. I'm a rambler. Anyway, that's kind of all the updates I have. And I wanted to get into the episode today. Please remember the disclosure at the beginning. And we're going to start by kind of taking you through my New York experience and timeline just so that you guys can get caught up with like where I'm coming from with my recs when we talk about them. So I grew up right near New York City. I grew up in Monmouth County, New Jersey. It's about an hour drive, a 40-minute ferry ride, or an hour and a half train ride away. Let me take a sip of my water right now. Water break. 
Okay. So that's how far away it is. I was always obsessed with New York as a kid because I was such a theater kid. I loved when I was in high school, my parents would let me take the train in with my friends to see shows. And I would come in with my parents sometimes to like shop or go to dinner. But I didn't like know New York really. Like I wasn't like a super like I wasn't super New York City savvy. I also when I was really young, I was doing community theater in New Jersey and like a talent manager saw me. Her name was Shirley Grant Management. She had originally signed the Jonas Brothers and the person who voiced Dora and Spongebob. So I take full, no, just kidding. <laughs> well, actually that's true. So she asked me to audition to um, be signed with her in management. So I did. And I had, I was being like, literally didn't go to school in fifth grade, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to New York city. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story. My parents literally hated it. They were like, we're not stage parents. We don't want to do this. But like, it was my dream. And since the manager kind of like approached me, they were like, fine. And I was like literally 11. And then I booked um, the role of Dina or Deanna in the cartoon bubble guppies on nickelodeon and then the economy crashed and they took it off the air and then my contract went up and my parents were like we're not renewing that that was such hell like shuttling you back and forth to the city to try to be an actor and so i never got to i never got to pursue my dreams of being a child actor which is probably a good thing probably like at the end of the day did i really want to do that i don't know my parents were like we don't we don't think this is <laughs> I, I mean at the end of the day like i cannot explain to you like my fourth and fifth grade years were basically like me getting picked up from school at noon every day to go into the city and audition getting car sick in the car throwing up all over my mom's car eating a buttered roll on the side of the street going to auditions going to auditions going to auditions every single day and it was a lot and my parents were like we're not built for this we're not cut out for this like you're done. You're done. After after like eight months, I think it was when the economy crashed, the whole thing, you're done. You're done. So I was obsessed with theater for that reason. And those were my experiences in New York. And there was one story that I thought was really funny. Right after I lost my virginity, my parents took us into New York for the weekend um, to do like a weekend overnight trip. And that was like the only time we ever like stayed in a hotel in New York City in my childhood, I, I think. And um I remember being so stressed out the whole weekend that I was pregnant because I had lost my virginity. I had sex one time and I was like, oh my God, I need, I'm so worried. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. That's a quintessential New York memory for me in childhood. Um, and I basically had that experience, those experiences, a lot of theater, a lot of entertainment, a lot of Midtown. That was pretty much what I knew growing up. Then I lived, um, in New York the summer before my senior year of college, I was interning at Kevin McCollum's office, Alchemation. He produced a ton of Broadway shows and I was living in Staten Island. So a lot of people didn't know this because I mentioned on Instagram that I lived in two boroughs before. Uh, my parents used to have an apartment in Staten Island when they were opening restaurants there. And I lived in the apartment because I didn't have my own money at all to afford living in New York City. So it was either I was going to live at home at my parents and commute in or live in Staten Island and commute in. Commute was slightly shorter in Staten Island and it felt like a just an inch more of independence. Um, and the commute was I would take the train to the ferry. The ferry runs every like 25, 30 minutes. It's a 25, 30 minute ferry ride over to Manhattan. You get off downtown um, and you're in like Battery Park area. And then I took the subway, the one train up to Midtown every single day. Um it was, I don't know, it was interesting to live there. Like I, at the end of the day, didn't spend that much time in Staten Island. And I started dating this guy who lived in Bushwick. And so I spent a fuckload of time in Bushwick. Cause a lot of times I would just crash at his place on weekdays or he would crash at mine. Like we would just commute together. And so it didn't really feel like that isolating to live over there. I, the like big 
experience I had in Staten Island is actually not even when I lived there. I was like hooking up with a guy um, when I first moved to New York City, like full time who lived in Staten Island, I, like went to his like childhood town and like saw like suburban Staten Island. But I was mostly like on the water in Staten Island where the apartment was. Um, and I was dating a guy in Bushwick. So I spent a lot of time in Bushwick, a lot of restaurants. And we went on a lot of runs in Brooklyn. So I basically like split my time three ways between Midtown, um, Brooklyn and then Staten Island. I was like sleeping in Staten Island, but I wasn't like partaking a lot there um and this was back when there was via and uber pool and i think uber carpool exists again now but i was such a fucking whore for uber pools like the amount of uber pool, like imagine taking an uber pool to staten island like i don't know if anybody has that niche experience of getting in an uber pool in the middle of manhattan and taking it to staten island because it's really late and you're drunk or whatever like i was such i was an uber pool girly because i was an intern i was like i'm not taking an uber like my options are take the hour commute back at 11 o'clock at night which is like doesn't feel like the tea right now or get in this uber pool or via i don't even know if via still exists but me and my ex-boyfriend like we're obsessed with via also we via'd everywhere we via like all over the place it's essentially the same thing as uber pool except for they don't have the option to via by yourself i don't think like it has to be like a shared ride it's way cheaper um so I was working on Broadway and I was also going through a breakup while I started dating this guy. And I think I've told you guys a lot about this and more about it will be in the book. But essentially, like I broke up with my very serious ex-boyfriend from college and then I moved to the city and I started seeing this guy and we started dating. And I definitely think that I the way that I went about being in a relationship with him was really wrong. So I think I was doing it partially to just like replace my ex or like for comfort reasons. Um and yeah, there was definitely a lot of residual feeling there for my ex-boyfriend. And I feel guilty about this, but this isn't a relationship episode. So we're not going to get too far deep into that. But like I did feel a lot of times like I it wasn't fair what I did to this guy that I was dating. But anyway, um, I just had a hard time while I was here. And I don't think I really loved it. Like there are these days I reflect on my summer in New York and I'm like, my brain forgot the bad stuff and the bad feelings that I was feeling. But when I was living in New York City that summer, I was like, I don't think I want to move here full time after graduation. Like, I think it's too close to home. Like, it's a lot of chaos that I don't know if I'm sitting well with. Like, I, I really miss the Midwest right now. I miss Michigan. I also miss my ex-boyfriend. I just I, I want to try something new. I want to try a different city. I don't want to like I think I was also like in my brain. If I move to New York, I'm going to just end up staying forever. Um and it was a little confusing because I wanted to pursue theater at the time. So I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. But I just started to feel like I didn't want to live in New York after graduation. So I went back to college and realized I actually wanted to be a writer. I started applying to grad school, started applying to journalism programs. And lo and behold, the two programs that I got into and the one job I got all three in New York City. Um, and I actually didn't end up getting the job, but I was like seven um, rounds of interviews in. So like everything was so at the time was signs pointing to New York. I got into NYU Columbia and I was a finalist for the NBC page program. So like all three of these things that I'm dealing with in like May of 2020, it's like telling me that New York's the only option and I'm trying to listen to the universe. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go on with my best foot forward and I'm going to go and live in New York City after I didn't get the NBC page program after seven interviews and also if you ever need any advice about that interview process I have plenty because I got to the like last round and it was a bit different in the pandemic they had like seven rounds of interviews and it was very very chaotic and all online however if you need any advice DM me because I went through the process um so I moved here in August of 2020 and I had $15,000 saved from waitressing I was a waitress at my dad's restaurant over the whole pandemic when it 
when um, in-person dining opened, but before in-person dining opened, I did all the deliveries and I answered the phones at one of the restaurants. So I saved all of that money. And then I had a bit of money saved for my waitressing job in college. So I moved with 15 grand and I was like, I'm going to need a job because there's no way that that 15 grand is going to sustain me. So I got a job nannying. And the way I got the job was I looked up um, like Upper West Side Moms Facebook groups or like wherever you live, like West Village Moms, or you can just join them even if you don't live there and you'll be able to post and give your credentials. And I had so many families reach out and then one reached out and they had one kid and they were paying really well and they needed me four times a week which was going to be able to be like a good amount of money for me I fell in love with them I miss them to this day they live in Kansas City now bless their hearts I also tutored to supplement my income so that was the money that I had when I moved to New York and I was living in a sublet in my friend's apartment in the Upper West Side, 100 West 74th Street on 74th and Columbus. It was a walk-up with no in-unit or in-building washer and dryer. It was an old, old, old building with like some rats and also some roaches. And I lived in a windowless bedroom that was like the size of a closet for $900 a month. And it was like that New York first shitty apartment experience that everybody needs and deserves to have. Like literally lugging your laundry like from the laundromat up five flights of stairs and seeing the roach in your apartment. Like that was, and we were quarantining there but it was also like charming beautiful perfect upper west side that i fucking loved and i was going to columbia at the time so it was pretty close to columbia it was like literally 12 minutes on the one train like straight up um to morningside heights where columbia is or it was like an hour walk like i would sometimes do the walk because i loved walking all the way up through uptown and it was a walk that i was obsessed with um so that was my first apartment. I lived there from August to March. And then in March, I moved into a second sublet because I wasn't sure if I was going to move um, out of New York and get a job in New York after I graduated from Columbia. So I had an apartment that was, oh, fuck, what was it? It was 74 West 69th Street. It was right next to the Barry's Boot Camp, basically on 69th and Columbus, basically diagonally across the street from my other apartment in the same neighborhood, in the same area, a bit closer to Lincoln Center than the Upper West Side. Um gorgeous 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 apartment it was fourteen hundred dollars um and at that point i had saved more money from my nannying gig and whatever and i still had a little tiny tiny bit of money saved over from um the money that i brought from um from waitressing and then i was there from march to may then i graduated and started my full-time job in journalism and i worked right near bryant park in Midtown. And so it was close enough um, to my apartment. And I lived with two random girls that also went to Columbia, but they were in business school. And I was just a subletter, but the apartment was the nicest apartment that I'll probably ever live in in New York City. Like I, the guy like desperately needed to get it off of his hands, but he was paying like $2,700 a month. And he said he would just make up the difference because nobody else wanted it. Cause I was like, my max is 14. And I had my own bathroom and it had a, it didn't have an elevator. It was a walk up, but it was like a first floor walk up. Like we're on the first floor. So like Probably the nicest apartment ever. And I missed the Upper West Side. I actually went there the other day because I had to go pick something up. And I was walking around like feeling so nostalgic for like all the old people and dogs and babies. It was, it's such my vibe. I'm obsessed with the Upper West Side. So I moved there. And then um, in July of 2021, I decided I was going to move in with my high school best friend, Kelly. And then my my grad school best friend Rachel kind of brought up to me that she needed a place to live so we decided to do a three bedroom we started looking we found one in the East Village that we loved and it was um the first apartment that we saw and we got there and the landlord was like I want to get this off my hands if you guys sign right now I will include all of your utilities yeah, like included you don't have to pay them so we don't pay water bill we don't pay wi-fi we don't pay fucking heat we don't pay we don't pay any of that shit still still and our rent um is stabilized in our building so it only went up 15 dollars each 
for the resign. So I pay sixteen forty a month. It is so nice. Like I I'm never gonna leave this bed. Except for the fact that I sleep in Murray Hill four nights a week. Um, but I do love my room. I'm obsessed with it. And remember when I did my whole room redo? Yeah, I know you guys do. So that's kind of my New York experience. That's where I'm coming from with all of this. I've had definitely a love-hate with New York that I also want to get into. You know, when I moved back here, you know, I think New York is sort of like a mirror. So like if you're depressed in New York, you're not going to like it. And I think that's true of anywhere, but it's not the kind of place that like wants to uplift you. Like New York's going to tear you down and it's going to push you to the floor, but it's going to want, it's going to encourage you to get back up and it's going to help you do it, if that makes sense. But I feel like when you're like depressed in sunny California or like you're feeling sad, like sometimes people go there because the sunshine helps or like the vibes help their mood or their energy. Like I think New York's vibes don't necessarily help elevate or lift your mood or energy for me. I know everybody's different, but for me, when I moved here in August of 2020, I, I was having a really hard time. The end of 2020 was just not a good time for me, as was the summer that I lived here. So I just didn't like it. And then I think as I started to feel better and I pulled myself up and I helped myself get up and New York encouraged me to help to get me up and encouraged me to kind of like feel empowered and like seek out the things I would like here. I started to feel better and then I started to really love it. Now I think I'm in an era where I definitely like New York, but I've always known that I didn't want to live here forever. Um, I've been saying this, but my end of year slash end of next year goal is to buy and put a mortgage on an apartment. I know wherever I end up next in my life, like whether it's LA, whether it's Austin, wherever I go, Chicago, I don't know where I'm going to live. I just know that I want to experience living in different places. And I, I've always felt that way. So wherever I end up living or live next, I know I always want to have roots in New York. I know one day when I raise a family, I want my kids to like know New York and like cherish it. And and know the East Coast in general because that's where my family is. I just, I've never been the kind of person that was like, I love New York City and I'm going to live here forever. Or like, I love LA and I'm moving there. Or like, I love it here. I've always kind of been like, I think I could just like vibe wherever I end up. Like, you put me in any state for the most part. And I think that I'm feeling good. Like, I think I could find a way to like, like a place. Like, I lived in St. Louis, Missouri and like, I literally have so much love in my heart for my experience there and living. Like, I, I'm not the kind of person that's like dead set on one place ever. So I think I could, I could experience anything. I just want to have a lot of experiences in life. So I do feel though that I always want to have roots on the East Coast somewhere. And I think that my favorite city in, in the East Coast is New York City. There's without a shadow of a doubt, no city like it. Um, but like every city brings something really special to the table. Like I love LA now. I know you guys like I had a love hate with LA and the last time I was there I was like I love it. So I don't know. Like you never know where you're going to end up. I don't have any plans to leave right now. I don't have any concrete plans to leave in the future. But I do think that one day I might exit because I want to try something new. And I yeah, that's kind of my take on New York City. Like I'm not I don't want to come off as like a dead set. I'm here forever or like a, I hate it. I think I'm just in the in between. I like New York right now. I think I'm going to like New York tomorrow and next week. But who knows where the tides will turn. So you guys wanted tons of recommendations. And that's pretty much what the bulk of the episode is going to be. So right now I'm pulling up my restaurant lists um, for New York City. Sip pre. I have to look up. Okay. So I'm pulling up all my restaurant recs and we're going to do those first. So take notes with your notepad if you haven't already. Okay. Starting out with Morningside Heights in Harlem because I went to school there and I have a couple favorites. The Hungarian pastry shop has the best cappuccinos and they also have a gluten-free chocolate cake. I even get regular milk. I wrote in my notes. Um, there's always a line, but it's so charming and it's like a Columbia University classic. 
Amity Hall is a little bar right near Columbia where me and my classmates would always go after class when we started having in-person classes. I'm obsessed with the nacho fries and they have amazing spicy margaritas. We would go at 4 p.m. after our class literally once a week and we would get drunk at four and it was everything. Ponte Bistro up there is a French African bistro. That's really great. I went there with my mom once. There's an Ethiopian restaurant that I'm going to mispronounce, but it's spelled A-B-Y-S-S-I-N-I-A. It's like the best Ethiopian food I've had in the city, and I love Ethiopian food. I also have a rec in Brooklyn for Ethiopian food. There's community food and juice. Um, there's Taranga, T-E-R-A-N-G-A, which also has good gluten-free options. And then there's Make My Cake, which is a cake and bakery that is oh, so good. I got somebody a cake there for their birthday. Forget what it was for. It might have even been one of my professors was at Columbia and they're like, this is the best cake I've ever had. It's so good. Upper West Side, Black Press is my favorite coffee place. I would go there all the time. They have amazing seasonal lattes and their coffee is really strong. There's a place called Tap, New York City. It's um, like a Brazilian restaurant, but everything is gluten-free for the most part. It's really fucking good. One of you guys DM me that Playa Betty's is overrated and I do not co-sign that whatsoever. I'm I'm going to cry. I actually think I need the queso. I'm actually having full body shells <laughs> thinking about the queso and chips and the margaritas and the drinks. Barney Greengrass um, for locks. And it's like your quintessential Jewish deli is my favorite Jewish deli in the city. Modern Bread and Bagel. They also now have one in Chelsea, but it's all gluten-free and you wouldn't even know. They have this monkey bread that's really good and they definitely have the best gluten-free bagels in New York. And then Papardella is not the best Italian restaurant. Like if you aren't gluten-free... Don't go to Papardella, maybe. But if you are, they have an entire gluten-free menu, and it's really good gluten-free foods. So they have, like, everything on their menu is could be made gluten-free, which is really crazy, and I haven't seen that anywhere else, like, including garlic bread, including mozzarella sticks, like, including everything. Um, Jacob's Pickles, also really fucking good. And there's also a Friedman's up there, and Friedman's is an all-gluten-free restaurant. Okay. Some restaurants where I like to get my salad and fries combo, Jack's Wife Frida. I saw that TikTok being like, this line is for Jack's Wife Frida pissed my pants but it's really good butcher's daughter also really good love butcher's daughter american bar you guys know i have tea with them because they stole my brother's phone and it was like a whole situation but their salad and fries combo is really fucking good the standard grill i'm obsessed with the grilled chicken that they put on their kale salad but their truffle fries are amazing their drinks are better they have oysters it's a really cute date spot it's attached to the standard hotel it's kind of just quintessential new york to me and they have these moscow meals that are chef's kiss it's attached also to the standard beer garden and labane which is a rooftop bar that's dank Let's see. Westville. I eat Westville four times a week. Their French fries are so fucking good. And I get the Cobb salad, add red onion, no bacon. And then I get um, the balsamic vinaigrette dressing instead of the dressing that they serve it with. And it's so good. Fig and Olive has really good shoestring fries. Oleo Pew. Sunny Boy is my favorite restaurant in Manhattan. I get the kale Caesar salad and a side of fries with their aioli. You have to order the aioli. And then I get a spicy skinny margarita, extra salty rim. And then Grey Lady super close to grandmother energy but they have a really good wedge salad and they have really good fries and they have really really good drinks pastis is a bougie french restaurant that's kind of like balthazar and people have a lot of conversations about whether they like balthazar or pastis better i think pastis has better vibes and balthazar might be a better fancy dinner restaurant queen's yard in hudson yards is very very good it's expensive and i think it's a special occasion restaurant but they have a fucking amazing steak it's like a british restaurant the Fulton is a John George restaurant. It is really expensive, but if you have like a parent in town that wants to take you out for a nice treated meal and they're going to ball out on you, you should go there. It's really good. 
Cipriani downtown is like sugar daddy paradise. It's definitely my favorite restaurant in Manhattan. I love the bellinis. I love the avocado salad. Their cake that they have for dessert is amazing. Again, really expensive special occasion place. Her name was Carmen is like some of the best food I've had in Manhattan. It has um, this chef got a Michelin star for another restaurant and then came and opened this restaurant. It's it's like, I don't know what kind of food it is exactly, but it's always on par. And it's kind of a scene like the um, at night, it turns into sort of like a club vibe. It reminds me of Kaima, which is a similar vibe. Um, Atla, Alta Atla is Michelin starred. Very worth it. Kaima is really fucking loud. Like it's loud. Like when you're eating, like there's a DJ, but it's a going out restaurant meets like I think it's Israeli or Mediterranean food and it's really good food. Avra is really yummy Mediterranean food, very expensive. Don Angie, whole menu is good and it never misses. It's impossible to get a reservation. Scarpetta, yum. San Ambrose, I literally love going there for a little cocktail and a little um, dessert or like a little appetizer. So fucking good. Also, their coffee bar is really good there. Lafayette is a French food. Um, lots of butter. I love butter. Butter, we don't talk about butter enough. Like, butter is the universal solvent. If you tell me you don't like butter, I tell you I don't like you. So fucking good. Lucien, that's where um, Kanye West was handing out the Birkin bags to Julia Fox and her friends. So get a little apero there. Los Tacos Numero Uno is really fucking good tacos. They have places all around the city and there's a cactus taco that you have to try ribalta is really really good pizza and they have a gluten-free pie that i think is the best gluten-free pizza ever my favorite mexican like taco salad is javelina there's one on the upper east side and i don't know where the other locations are but there definitely are other locations emily's um apparently now has gluten-free pizza it's really 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 good um or emmy's i put emily's but it's emmy's um Sidel's, such a scene but for the experience i would go if you can get brunch there i don't think the bagels are that good but they do have gluten-free bagels and gluten-free options cafe dante i wouldn't eat there but the drinks are fucking to die for not the mcdougall location though the other location Pom frites is drunk food also in the west village um they have like a billion different dips that you can choose from and i like i've brought literally everybody there that ever visits me in new york city La Pecora Bianca, I feel like, is really standard. It's always good. Cell Rose is my favorite, 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 favorite cocktails in New York City. The best truffle fries. Like, everything's pink. It's the best people watching. It's so fucking good. Um, Lupa is my favorite Italian in the city, and it's directly across the street from Carbone, and I would go there over Carbone every day of the week. It's so fucking good, and it has the best pasta. Bouvet is really good for a nicer brunch. Um, Marta is the best pizza. It's not gluten-free. It's such good, though, like artisan Italian pizza. Dos Caminos is like a guilty pleasure of mine. Boucherie is really good for a nicer brunch. Tacombi and Talache have a bunch of locations, and it's really consistent Mexican food. Taco Dumbo has this pork skin guac and fresh juice marks that I love. Cafe Kitsune, really, really great, great drinks. Svita is expensive, and the food is good, but the drinks are really, really fun, and it's always a good scene. Bar Pity, really good aperitivos, really good like desserts, really good um, appetizers. Raoul's, you have to get the burger if you go there. It's a French restaurant. It's really good. Via Carota, I love Via Carota. I also think it's better than Carbone, hot take, but Lasquina, also Mexican food that I love. Another drunk food place is 375 Chicken and Fries. Best fucking fries. You guys have to go there. My favorite place to get dessert is a gluten-free bakery called Posh Pop, and they have the best desserts. And then uh, for Brooklyn, um, 
Raw's Ethiopian is the Ethiopian restaurant that I wanted to recommend you guys. It's vegan and it's so fucking good. Donut Plant is a donut place that's actually now in Manhattan as well, but they have really good gluten-free options. Um, Lilia is very, 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 very expensive, but it's so good. Calexico. Hometown Barbecue is my favorite barbecue in New York. It's in Red Hook, but it's very worth it. Bunker is a Vietnamese restaurant, and I think it was originally opened in Queens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really good. Buna Cafe, another Ethiopian restaurant. Maybe that's the vegan one. Raz or Buna, one of them is vegan. They're both really good. Faro is Italian in Bushwick. And then my favorite pizza in all of New York City is Defara. It's in Brooklyn. It's the best slice, I think. It's so fucking good. But I also like Joe's. I'm a Joe's hose. Okay. Now to get a little bit more nitty gritty with the recs. For gluten-free, um, Serafina has gluten-free pasta. Ribalta has gluten-free pizza. Modern Bread and Bagel, Zucker's Bagels, Black Seed Bagels, Murray's Bagels, Posh Pop, and then Levain has gluten-free cookies. There's a couple of like strictly gluten-free restaurants in Manhattan, but I'm going to just be honest here. I would much rather go to a restaurant that's not known for their gluten-free food, but has gluten-free options than a restaurant that's all, than a restaurant that's like all strictly gluten-free. Um, that's just my take on it. And I think that it's pretty good one and I'm going to end it there. Okay. We're going to get out of restaurant scene soon. Don't worry. So favorite brunch spots. I don't like bottomless brunch, but I've obviously been. So I have compiled some recs. Demole, I, I pronounce things like shit and I can't spell. So just so you guys know, um, $49 for two hours of unlimited food and drinks in Williamsburg. It's really good. I've had it. North Fork is $45 for an entree and unlimited drinks in the West Village. Hudson West is in Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen has the best Mexican food in New York, I think, some of it, and also the best vibes and also the best bottomless brunches. $29 for bottomless mimosas. Agave is in the West Village. It's like not that good, but it's like it's like quintessential New York bottomless. I feel like it's $30 bottomless brunch. I like Para in Soho for brunch and Rosemary's. Rosemary's is one of my favorite restaurants. Claudette, I think, has brunch as well as dinner, but their dinner is really good. Jack's Way Frida, Butcher's Daughter, Sunday in Brooklyn, Clinton Street Baking Co., Rust and Daughters, Hole in the Wall, Meadow Suite, and the Williamsburg. Those are all the places I've had brunch that I like to get brunch. I'm not a big brunch person and I won't go unless somebody else really asks me for brunch, like to get brunch with them. Otherwise, I'm not really like a brunch girl, if that makes sense. Okay, so I think that's most of my rest restaurant recs listen like again i don't know everything i literally didn't even include a lot of other um boroughs i just included some of my favorite spots that i've gone often based on where i live um and if you guys have recs for me please dm because i'm always looking to try other places okay you guys want to know the tourism and touristy must-dos? I do not villainize tourists. I say this all the time, but I think that there's this ethos like running through the veins of everybody who lives anywhere being like, ugh, tourists. I hate them. Like, why would you go to the Empire State Building when you visit New York? And I'm like, probably because this person has never visited New York, Katie. Like, she, they've never visited New York City. Obviously, they're going to the Empire State Building. Obviously, someone who's never visited New York is going to Times Square. It boils my blood when people are like, ew, Times Square is fucking gross it's all tourists it's like yeah because it's like an attraction that people want to see when they don't live here doy like when you go to um, paris next time you shouldn't go to the eiffel tower i actually hope you don't katie i hope you don't <laughs> okay some touristy must-dos. The Empire State Building. They have a great TikTok presence. Go support them. Times Square, and specifically the Times Square M&M world, to me, this isn't a tourist destination. It's a way of life. It's a personality trait. 
shopping in Soho, walking over the Brooklyn Bridge, um, going to see a Broadway show, and I have some hacks for getting cheaper tickets. There are TKTS booths in Times Square. You can also do rush tickets, and that's when you go to the box office. When it opens, there's usually lines outside of the box offices in the morning. They open at 9 or 10. You can look up rush policy for Dear Evan Hansen and see what their policy is. Usually, you'll go up to the box office when it opens and say, hi, do you have rush tickets available? They'll say yes. How many do you want? You'll say two. They'll say that'll be 40 bucks. It's day of show tickets. It's really amazing. And it started with rent. Um, When rent opened, they started doing it to make theater more accessible to young people. And they still do it today. You can also use Today Ticks, which is an online platform. And then the best way to get tickets, if you're not going to do any of those other things without any fees, is to just go to the box office and buy them. And usually they'll have night of tickets at most shows, especially now. The MoMA and the Met and the Whitney are museums that I think everybody needs to see if you're a first-time New York City visitor. Going to see Columbia is really nice because it's absolutely beautiful and everybody neglects Morningside Heights, but it's a wonderfully beautiful part of Manhattan. Literally all of New York is wonderful and exploring it all far and wide is so important when you visit. The Staten Island Ferry is free and you can take it to Staten Island um, and get off of it and then get right back on it. You can also have alcohol on it. And I would say it's the closest view of the Statue of Liberty that you can get without physically going to Ellis Island. It goes right past it. You can go at sunset. It's outside. It's free. You can get a bottle of wine. It's a really, really fun thing to do. Going to the New York Public Library, obviously walking through Central Park and then going to the Upper East or Upper West Sides, the 9-11 Memorial Museum downtown, the High Line, which is it used to be like a train, like above ground train. And now it's sort of like this walk over Manhattan. And there's a lot of art, um, free art expositions that you can look at. The Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, Bryant Park, which is my favorite park in Manhattan, Prospect Park, which is a park in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Bridge Park, Brooklyn Bo- Botanical Gardens, which is literally beautiful and slept on by tourists please run there and the brooklyn museum for where you should stay in new york city i've stayed at all of these hotels or at least have been acquainted with them um the arlo in soho the williamsburg hotel in williamsburg the standard is one of my favorite hotels the gansevoort pod 51 is in midtown if you're doing things in midtown while you're here the jane hotel modern house soho the public hotel the plaza is a classic the ace hotel in brooklyn And yeah, those are some hotels that you should stay at. Okay. You guys wanted to know the best cheap activities, in my opinion. So if you want to work out in New York City and try a bunch of workouts, you can get class pass. You'll get free workouts. If you refer friends, you'll get points and you'll be able to take and try free workout classes. There's also the culture pass initiative, which is when library card holders can access any some like a list of attractions that I think is like 40 attractions for free, including like going to the Whitney for free, going to the Botanical Gardens for free. Like There's tons of options if you have a library card. There are also free museum days that you can look into. The People's Improv Theater has free comedy shows almost every single day. There are happy hours all around the city. You just have to look hard enough. One of my favorites is Tarlucci Avino. Happy hour. There's a bunch of Tarlucci Avinos around the city. I think that the glasses of wine are $7, and there's like little appetizers that are also under $10, and then there's beers that are like $6. I could totally be making those numbers up, but that's what it was like the last time I went there. It's a really inexpensive happy hour, but also really delicious. Most art galleries are free. You can also visit Governor's Island, and there's tons of outdoor spaces and parks there to visit. Having a picnic in Central Park. Doing a dollar slice tour around Manhattan and trying all the dollar slices and figuring out which one is your favorite. 
Obviously, I said it again once, I'll say it again. The Staten Island Ferry is free. You can go to the the Brooklyn Free Market or Smorgasbord. I know it is super touristy Smorgasbord, but like those things are super inexpensive and you could just peruse. Pier 26 nonprofit does kayaks um, for free. I think it's like May through September or something. And they have lockers and bike locks and sunscreen all for free. And you can kayak, which is really nice. Um, and then you can also... DIY like a sex in the city gossip girl or friends tour when you look at all the places because like you can go visit Carrie Bradshaw's apartment you can go visit um like tons of different locations that gossip girl was filmed um and then also friends so those are all really good free options or cheap options nail salons you guys wanted to know I get my nails done at Spoiled Diva Nail Salon on East 19th and 3rd Avenue it's my favorite like go give them business they're fucking amazing um there's also Tina Green, which is in Brooklyn, and you have to get your nails done by Cherry if you go to Tina Green. And then I also like Gloss Lab because sometimes I don't get acrylics, and Gloss Lab is just really easy, quick in and out when you don't have a lot of time. Housing and finding housing. Um, for me, what I did, and obviously people are going to say street easy, people are going to say apartments.com. When I was subletting, I used Facebook to find roommates. So I would put myself into like, you know, NYU, college housing, or like Columbia students. And I just posted in it looking for housing. And that's how I found my second sublet. Also, if you guys want to join my Facebook group or my Geneva chats in the link in my bio on Instagram and TikTok, there have been tons of people that have found roommates and showed me that they found roommates in all cities, not just New York. Okay. You guys also wanted to know about safety and you asked me how I feel safe here. And personally, I feel very safe in New York City. I just feel like it's like any city. You just need to keep your eyes open and peeled. I wouldn't walk around with your music blasting through your headphones. If it's late at night, I wouldn't walk around alone as a woman. Like just the general safety that you have to execute in all cities is the same safety I would execute in New York. I really feel safe here. When I go on the subway or I'm out late at night, I always have a little pepper spray in my bag. And that's pretty much my number one precaution. And my friends have my location services on I I don't like to walk around alone at night my boyfriend walks with me at night I also don't like to take the subway I tend to only take it during the day um, but you can really find what works for you and what feels safest for you but most people I know that actually live here don't feel unsafe at all and they feel like it's just like any other city you just have to be cautious in general not because New York is particularly unsafe okay um, date ideas so my first one is Comedy Cellar. And if you don't know what Comedy Cellar is, it is so fucking good. You have to look it up and go to a show. It's just, they're just comedy shows, but they like take your phone. It's like in the West Village. It's in this like little basement. You have to get drinks. And then sometimes like Chris Rock will show up or like, comedians will show up like John Mulaney showed up before so that one's really fun you can go to a paint and pour there are tons around the city um you can see any theater really there's theater happening every night in New York there's off-Broadway there's off-off-Broadway there's free concerts there's free improv all you have to do is look a little and Facebook has that events feature that shows you all the events happening near you and that has been very lucrative for me in finding theater and other performances to see there's cocktail making classes and cooking classes tons of wine bars where you can do wine tastings Chelsea Mark it is really fun if you want to try a bunch of different foods at the little food stands that they have down there you can go to the harlem jazz parlor there are date night programs at the met there's the classic harbor lines jazz cruise which takes you on a little jazz cruise i think that there's champagne you can do chelsea pier golf seasonally depending williamsburg mini golf seasonally depending you can ride city bikes down the west side highway or the east river the greens at pier 17 is a really nice date spot when it's nice out it's like a rooftop that has greens and you like rent the plot of land and they have like frosé and little like snackies and then there's nighthawk cinema it's like an eat-in um, movie theater in brooklyn and i think that that's also a really great option Okay, how to make friends in New York City. 
meetup.com is a really good one and I joined a meetup.com running club and writing club when I first moved to Manhattan and I didn't make any like lifelong friends but I met people that I like literally still follow on Instagram and keep in touch with so joining clubs and groups is really helpful there are so many like no matter what you like to do if you like to read if you like to write if you like to uh, like fashion like there's literally a club and a group for everything workout classes are great if you're consistently going to the same yoga class every single friday morning eventually you're going to start seeing the same familiar faces and you might eventually get up the courage to talk to someone or someone might get up the courage to talk to you dog parks are really good even if you don't have a dog just going with a friend and petting other people's dogs is a really great way to make friends um and then facebook groups in geneva like wherever city you're in even if it's not new york a lot of influencers and content creators are starting to make sort of like online communities for their followers to sort of engage and connect and I cannot express how helpful I think that that is um I've just watched so many people make so many lifelong connections and friendships or hopefully lifelong through um both of those platforms and I think it's really helpful in a city like New York where people start to feel really over anxious about you know how many fucking people are here okay the best New York City grocery store so everything in New York's a bit inconvenient um groceries are so fucking expensive Trader Joe's in New York City is a mess. Like, I'm going to say it because nobody else will. Specifically, the one I live near is horrible. Somebody just ranked all the Trader Joe's in New York City, and they ranked mine at the bottom. And honestly, rightfully so, deserves that spot. It sucks. Um, But it's just a mess in general. And then, of course, like with COVID and supply chain and inflation and all those things, it's worse. Um, I shop at Target a little bit for food. In terms of, like, bougie food stores, there's Citarella, Gristidis, and Zabar's. I one day aspire to like be on the Upper West Side exclusively shopping at Zabar's. Like Zabar's is an oasis. If you have that's an activity. If you've never been to Zabar's in the Upper West Side, get your fucking ass up and go. Get your fucking ass up and go to Zabar's. It feels like nobody wants to go to Zabar's these days. Rightfully so. It's so expensive, but everything is good. It's so good. So yeah, I don't really have a good answer on the New York City grocery storefront. I'm trying to figure it out myself. Okay. Best bars for your 20s. Listen, I don't go out a lot, so I'm just going to give you the ones that I like. Again, every every little bit of this needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And if you are someone that's lived here your whole life and you want to pipe in, or if you're someone that's like, I have recs for you, Eli. Like, you're suck. Like, I'm open to hearing them, but this is just the kind of stuff that I like to do here. Radagast in Brooklyn is really fun for day drinking. I actually love it there. Randolph Beer is really fucking good, also in Brooklyn. I love it there as well. The Box is a burlesque sort of sex club. That's such a vibe. That's the most fun I've ever had going out in Manhattan when I went to The Box. Acme is a very, like, mid-20s party scene on the weekends. Noir is a club on the west side that is really big and really fun, and I feel like you find hot guys there. Niagara is my favorite in terms of dancing, but I definitely think it's become more of an intern bar. So, like, I would say I'm kind of phasing out of it. Kind Regards, Attaboy, Pony Boy, The Flower Shop, Broken Shaker, and The Garrett East and West, which are speakeasies. One of them is located on top of a five guys of a man tries to take you on a first date there. Probably don't go because he probably takes all of his first dates there. Just kidding. Actually, I'm not. I bet you that. I bet you he does. I bet you he does. That's the thing. So I don't go out a lot, but those are some of the places that I've really liked going out in New York City. Okay. Workouts. I go to Equinox. When I first moved here, I went to Planet Fitness. I could not afford Equinox. Planet Fitness got the job done. The thing is, like, if you're just going to use equipment, you don't need, like, classes or nice showers or whatever else. Like, I don't see why not. Like, I don't see the issue with, like, going to a Planet Fitness or, like, I don't know. I thought Planet Fitness was totally fine. Like, obviously, I prefer Equinox because all the classes are included and, like, it's just, it just makes you want to work out how nice it is. But Planet Fitness got the job done. I went to the one um, near Lincoln Center. Now I go to Equinox. My favorite part about Equinox is that all the classes are included. So if you're the kind of person that takes a spin class a day, you get to go for 
free when you're an Equinox member because it's included with your membership. The showers are so nice. It's just really, I, I'm obsessed with Equinox. So that's definitely one. Um, class pass, obviously, as I recommended before. And then I get a, I hear a lot about solid corn rumble. I've never been to either, but I hear they're amazing. Barry's is intense, but it's definitely a good workout and it's expensive. So I don't go there, but I've been. And then Soul Cycle, uh, you guys know I'm a Soul Cycle stan. I am feeling very weird about their recent marketing campaign shitting on Peloton. It just seems really confused and awkward. And for that, I will be going to the Peloton in studio classes when they open up. I prefer to spin in person. And I've gone to the Equinox spin classes as well, but just Peloton, something about it really invigorates me. Okay. Favorite coffee shops, Maman, Seven Grams, Felix Roasting Co., and Ralph's are like my top four. Um, okay, and I'm gonna we're gonna get into some like, you know, how to date in New York City in a second, but I'm just trying to get through all my wrecks right now. So they live somewhere and they breathe in the world. Okay, non-touristy things to do, but I still think that these could be touristy, or I don't know. The seaport, nobody goes to seaport. It's so nice. It's like on the water. I don't even know how to explain where it is, but it's like on the water and there's so many good cute restaurants and little shops that you can go to. There's a Sunday in Brooklyn pop up there right now. Brookfield Place, I feel like there are tourists there, but it's also on the water and it kind of has like a coastal vibe that I love. And you can see the Statue of Liberty from there, riding city bikes, like literally city bikes are so accessible and easy and there's bike lanes everywhere. Just wear a helmet. The Aerial Arts Trapeze School of New York City. Anybody can take um, trapeze classes. The Koku Social Cooking Classes, amazing. If you want to take a dance class, you can go to Broadway Dance Center. They have beginner classes. I've taken them. They're so much fun. Bronx Greenway connects um, parks in the Bronx, um, and it's really cool. Highly recommend. I've done it once. The Hudson River Greenway, also amazing. This is a really cool thing that I don't think a lot of people do is the Roosevelt Island Tram. It takes you between Manhattan and Queens, like over, like in the sky with really fucking good views of everything. And then once you get on Roosevelt Island, you can take this red bus to go around the island. There's tons of parks and places to relax. It's really nice. You could have a picnic there. I don't know how to pronounce this, but the cloisters at the Met is like a lot of medieval art and architecture. It does not feel like you're in New York. It transports you out of it. It's gorgeous. The Morgan Library and Museum, so slept on, so historical, so beautiful. Um, employees Only is a speakeasy behind a psychic in Greenwich Village that you can go to. And I think that that's all my recs for that. Bookstores, my favorites are McNally Jackson, um, which is downtown, Shakespeare and Cole on the Upper East Side, The Strand, which is on 12th and Broadway. Um, book off and then Postman Books, which is in um, Chelsea Market. So those are all my bookstore recommendations. I go to bookstores whenever I feel anxious. So yeah. Okay. So now we're going to get into some of your more meta questions. For example, how do I not compare myself in New York City? I think that's something to remember is that New York is an incredibly independent place. It's so fast moving. And I always say this, but what's so special to me about New York City is that people go to New York City with open-ended dreams. They're just like, I want to move to New York. Not to say people don't go to like Washington, D.C. or L.A. or, you know, San Francisco or Chicago with open-ended dreams, but it's not the same vibe. Like usually you go for a job or a person or family or a reason. Like people come to New York just to come to New York and that energy pulses through it like adrenaline. It is crazy and beautiful. It's so hard working and gritty and it has so much personality. So I think you have to pull back and realize that nobody is really thinking about you as much as you're thinking about yourself. New York City is a very anonymous place. It can be very isolating and lonely no matter how many people are around. Read the lonely episode. Go listen to it if you haven't. Um, 
no one is looking at you thinking, why is that person wearing that? Because everybody's just like wearing whatever the fuck they want to wear, going to do whatever the fuck they want to do, getting their shit done. Nobody's looking at you thinking like, why is that person eating dinner alone? Because everyone's sort of like on their own grind and on their own hustle. It's really hard to keep relationships in New York City because it's really hard to see people because of how independent and fast moving and like hustle culture New York is. I used to think of New York as the baseline city and all the other cities like we're trying to mimic it, but it's actually not like that at all. Like I just grew up near here and this is what I was familiar with. Like New York is unlike any other city and all the other cities have more similarities than any any of them do to New York City. Like, I don't know if I could ever compare a different city to New York. It's it's so idiosyncratic. So I think you have to pull back and remember that everyone's thinking about themselves as much as you're thinking about yourself. So it's not leaving them a lot of time to think about you. So like that realization really changed it for me. And I was just like, I could do what I want. Like I can embrace New York however I want to embrace it. I can redefine my New York City experience because I don't need to be so concerned about what people are thinking about me. Like when I go out to eat dinner alone, nothing happens. Like I just enjoy myself and read my book and put in my music and like sit at a bar and eat sushi. Like nobody is thinking about me. Nobody went home thinking about how weird that was. Like no one has the time, the energy or the desire to think about that because they're all doing the same thing. Like we're all in this together as High School Musical would say. Um, there was another question that I'm pulling myself to. Yeah, but I, I do think like when you think about New York, like you have to realize how independent each person is. And for that, like no one's really judging you. There's no like, and if they are, okay, weird, like worry about yourself. Okay. So there's this thing about dating in New York where it's like dating in New York sucks. It's so fucking bad. Like New York city dating is hell. I don't really get it that much. And here's my reasoning. Yes, there is a fierce independence in New York that we just talked about. There's this adrenaline and this hustle culture and this like crazy fast paced nature pulsing through the city. That all exists, and that definitely affects and impacts dating in New York. But at the end of the day, even though it might take a little bit longer because people are so independent, it's there's always something going on. There's always someone. There's so many fucking people, and there's so many fucking young people. There's always something going on that you can go do. There's always a cool new restaurant, a cool new bar, a cool new speakeasy, a free concert, a free comedy. Like There's always something that you can go do in New York City. There's so many opportunities to date. It might take a bit more effort because everything in New York takes a little bit more effort. Grocery shopping is inconvenient in New York. Like It doesn't feel like you're grocery shopping in a suburb. So like it's going to be a little bit harder to date. But I think that there's so many people and so many opportunities that it evens out the playing field and it actually ends up becoming really fun um when you're dating in new york obviously get on the apps i think raya hinge and bumble are probably the big three like i've never been on raya my roommate's on it and she fucks with it um hinge and bumble i had success with when i was dating in new york um but if you want to date people and find people outside of the apps i would just go where a future significant other would be like i've said this before but if you want to date somebody that owns an art gallery then go to art gallery openings if you want to date somebody that's a bartender go to cool cocktail like craft cocktail bars like you have to go where your future significant other would be you can't just sit at home and wait for them to come to you um you have to if you want a date like if you want a boyfriend a girlfriend a partner you have to go out there and get them um and i think that that like extra oomph that extra push can be hard and that's why i set dating goals like okay this month i'm gonna go on three dates or this month i'm gonna meet three new people whatever you want to do but also you don't have to date in new york at all but the question was about dating in new york um there's even matchmakers and speed dating you can do in new york city like there are so many tremendous opportunities to do things like Ask your friends to set you up, join clubs, join groups, all that good stuff. You will find someone. There are so many fucking people here. Um, then the kind of like what I wanted to end on after all of those a million recommendations is um, like, how do you know if you should move here slash should I move here? Um, I think 
And like, should everyone live in New York at one point in their life? I think no. Like, I don't know. Like, at the end of the day, I think New York City is like a very special place. And to so many people, it's home and has been home forever and will be home forever. So many people are so obsessed with it and love with it. I don't think just because New York City is so iconic means everybody should move there or like at one point in their life. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, everyone should move to New York. I just know that's not accessible. It's not feasible. It can be really expensive. It, it can be just not the right choice for some people. Some people really don't like it here. Just because I really like it here and it makes me happy right now doesn't mean I'm going to sit here and tell everybody that they should move here. If you're deciding if you should move here, I think you should be aware of your financial situation and make sure that you can afford to live here. And like, just like as though you're moving anywhere, just make sure that like your finances are in check to move here and, and ask yourself why you want to move here. But I really think like you can move here for any number of reasons like anything is possible in New York right it's it's like I don't know I, I really think it's one of the best cities in the world like no matter where I end up with my life and where I go like New York is always going to have a massive pin on my map and place in my heart um so while I don't think everybody should move here at some point in their lives because I don't think anyone should do anything like you should just do whatever you want to do I think when you're deciding to move here you just just have to ask yourself like am I ready for New York because it definitely can be a little bit like it can be a little bit I don't know, like prickly when you first get here. Like people say New Yorkers are so mean, but I don't really think that we're mean. I think we're just blunt and upfront. Like everyone's trying to get their shit done. So imagine like a bunch of people just trying to do their own thing. And like the, there's so many people that you're all getting in each other's way. Like no one's actually mean or cruel though. Like there's mean and cruel people everywhere. But you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, New Yorkers are kind. New Yorkers will lend a helping hand. Like it's New York strong. It's New York tough. Like it's definitely tough. But I think like if you feel ready for it, come on over. Find your communities, lean on them. Community is absolutely everything. Um, my friends, my people, my writing friends, my TikTok friends, my creator friends, like every single pocket that I've been able to find in New York has been so immensely helpful. I, When I was living here in the summer, I took a writing class at this woman's apartment and it was like her apartment filled with books. And like, it was like 40 of us sharing our writing once a week or twice a week. And like that kept me afloat when I lived in New York. And I don't even talk to those people anymore. And I don't even talk to that teacher who taught the class anymore. But like that kind of stuff keeps you above water. Um, and I love just living here and reading about, I don't know, I love how um, Book Lovers is set partially in New York City. And like, I don't know, like, obviously life is not like Sex in the City or like the fucking episode of Glee where they moved to New York. But there's a reason they don't move. To, oh, they, well, they do move. But I meant the one that they like come for regionals or nationals or whatever it is. There's a reason that all of these like artists want to write and talk about New York so much. Like there's something here. So with that in mind, anyone can be a part of it. And if you come, hit me up with all your favorite recs because I just gave you guys mine. And at the end of the day, I'm not saying I'm an expert on New York because I simply am not. I am just a gal who's lived here for a few years and everybody in my DMs lately has been asking for recommendations. So I just wanted to let you guys know that these are mine. These are some of my favorite spots in New York, but I'm looking to explore more. Remember to get active in your communities wherever you are, but especially if you're in New York City, we can't be profiting off of and enjoying and reveling in these communities and not be giving back to them or recognizing the people that we're affecting when we do so. So get involved. I'm going to include all that stuff in the episode. And without further ado, I hope you really, really enjoy this amazing call in with the wonderful Spencer Olsen. He is a drama therapist who currently works at HMI doing drama therapy for LGBTQIA plus youth. He is a world of knowledge. We had a wonderful conversation and I really hope you'll stick around to listen to it. There's going to be tons of opportunities to get involved and maybe that'll be your first toe into the waters of getting involved in New York and volunteering and donating because what he's doing is incredible and I'm sure he could use all of our help. So we're going to listen to that interview. It was amazing. I love you guys so much and I will see you next week. Mwah. Hugs. Love you. Bye. Okay. Welcome, guys, to another 
amazing Colin interview. I am so excited to have Spencer here today. He is just a wealth of information and knowledge, and you guys are going to learn so much. But I'm going to let him do the talking. So welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I, I think that this conversation is going to be great. And I know that you're interested in theater. And I yes. think a lot of your followers probably are too. So we can we can talk about all of this. It's so funny because I feel like I just pinned the tail on like the perfect group of people where yes I do have some like diehard theater people but I also have those people who are like deep appreciators of theatrical art but they didn't like go to school for it like we did they're just like I I literally love Wicked and so they're always so interested to learn more about drama and I love those people like we need them to keep the theater alive (laughs) yes yes we do especially right now and we need to know what they want to see. I think that's important to me. I know. I, I tweeted the other day, revive Legally Blonde to um, save Broadway. And it got so many faves. And I was like, low key though, like the TikTok Legally Blonde Muni situation, like reinstated my thought process about reviving Legally Blonde on Broadway. <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts about that, but I think that's, that's a separate podcast. That's totally a separate yeah. podcast. <laughs> well, to get us started, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself elevator pitch us who are you what do you do where are you from all that good stuff yes there's a lot of anxiety with an elevator pitch so i'm going to do my best but um (laughs) my name's spencer i'm from cleveland ohio so i i consider myself a midwest man um who's now in new york city and i studied theater at depaul university i was studying theater arts um and I was also studying psychology. And so my question was, how can I use psychology and theater um, moving forward? And so in Chicago, when I was in school, my advisor, Koya, she um, she was actually the artistic director of Free Street Theater, which created theater by and for communities. And so they actually like, did theater outside of downtown Chicago, like in on the South side, they also did it like near Northwestern, like in like actual, like actual communities where yeah. theater was not often seen. Um, and so she was telling me like, you know, have you looked into drama therapy? And I've never heard of drama therapy. Um, and as soon as she said that, I started doing my research and realizing that you could use theater as a technique to resolve conflict or problems or to really tap into your emotions and really think through where you're at in life, that, that inspired me. And so my thesis for undergrad was actually going to a maximum security prison once a week to work with a group of inmates who were in there for life. And we put together a piece of theater called Once a Felon, Always a Felon about the stigma of being incarcerated. So that led me to NYU, um, where they actually have a graduate program in drama therapy. Um, And so I did that for two years and I interned at Lenox Hill Hospital on a psychiatric unit. And then I also interned in Ohio at a community center um, for people with severe mental health. Um, And now I'm here and I'm at HMI, Hedrick Martin Institute, which we can talk about more. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Okay. So that's amazing. And it (laughs) recalled like a ton of memories that I forgot I had because at Michigan, we have a very, very similar program. Um, I forget exactly what it's called. It's like the Prison Theater Institute or something. It's a semester-long program where the same people, like in my major, which was theater arts, same as you, go, and they do that same kind of work. Um, And a lot of them decide that they're going to pursue that. 
So I'm wondering, can you speak to a little bit about what your major and work looked like in college and sort of like what exactly called you to this type of work and kind of like what is drama therapy? Kind of give us the overarching because I think a lot of people that aren't familiar with those types of programs probably have no idea what it is. Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely speak to that. I think that it's 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 impossible to to be ex, like to be exactly clear about what drama therapy is because it's so there's it's so wide and diverse. But essentially, it is really just using drama drama and therapy as a way to provide healing. And so, in that sense, there's like so much you can do. Um, like you know, it looks like creating a play with a group of people that is a way for them to get their stories on stage and to provide the audience with a way to see themselves in a way that they haven't before. That's like one option. So it's called, that's called therapeutic theater. So, so when you have the intention of creating a piece of theater that will be therapeutic and healing in some way. And so typically that looks like, for example, at NYU, there's a program that is with veterans. And so it's veterans actually coming together and they are writing monologues and then they're actually working through those monologues to place them in a way that creates a play with a story. Um, and you usually do a survey before and after to actually assess like how much healing has actually happened. Um, but at Hedrick Martin, which is where I work now, it looks a little bit different because I'm actually just seeing um, LGBTQ youth from the age of 13 to 23 on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So in my one-on-one -on -one work with them, something that we often do at the very beginning um, is a role sort. And a role sort is actually like handing someone, like if I were doing a role sort with you, I would hand you a stack of cards that have like 50 to 60 roles. And I would ask you to pick out one that you identify with right now, one you identify with in the future, and then one that you need as a way to get you to the future. Um, and I don't know if this is making much sense, but I can give an no. example. No, it totally is, but I would love an example as well. Yeah, I think examples help me at least. Yeah, um, no, for sure. <laughs> so when I was at Lenox Hill on the psychiatric unit, which was an internship I did through NYU, I was working with a 25-year-old Syrian refugee, and he was gay. And when I first met with him, we did the role sort, and his most present role was the orphan because he felt like he was completely abandoned isolated like he left his family in Syria he didn't connect with the queer community here he was having a really hard time so he identified with the orphan and then his future role was the loved one because he was really trying to find a way to feel loved and supported and so we used both of those and he wrote a monologue for each of them um, and we actually just worked on performing those monologues um, until he got to a point where he felt really comfortable with them and we could talk more about like what exactly that meant. Like what was it to feel like an orphan? What is it like to want to be loved? Yeah, wow, that's amazing. I feel like this type of work might be a bit heavy. Is there like a way that you sort of combat that heaviness or do you find sort of like a solace in helping these people to the point where it maybe doesn't impact you in that way? I think it's definitely heavy and I, I find myself feeling very overwhelmed by all of the um, all of the problems that are facing people. And I think especially during COVID when we were working remotely and I was working with people who were really isolated, they were in shelters or they were in hospitals at the height of COVID when they really had no one that they could be around, that it was it was a real challenge. 
Um, and funny enough, like what I do to take care of myself is I like actually just love to see theater that has nothing to do with what I do. Like yeah. I love therapeutic theater, but I love to like see stuff on Broadway that literally has, that's just fun for me. Like yeah. I've seen POTUS maybe three times. It's just so fun. It's so, like it's related to social, social issues. And I think that there's meaning, but it's also so fun that, yeah. you know, I go find spaces where I can just like have fun, let go. And I'm not having to think too much. Um, yeah, and I think that that's so important, even with friends too. Like, not have expectations. Like, to meet with friends who are okay with you just like hanging out, and you like don't have to talk that much. Like, you can just have fun, be together. Yeah, absolutely. So, so pivoting a little bit, because now you work at HMI, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the organization first. What are the main offerings, and then we'll get into a little bit about like what you do at HMI. Yeah, of course. So HMI, Hetrick Martin Institute, it's the largest LGBTQ youth nonprofit in the United States. Um, it's on Astor Place right near NYU. And it's an after-school program. So we operate between the hours of three and eight. And so it's a, a place for LGBTQ youth from the ages of 13 to 23 to have space to come to, to hang out, to be in community. And we offer a lot, I mean, our our biggest programs are really the counseling and case management. So we provide free individual counseling, group counseling, and case management. So a lot of the youth we work with uh, um, are black and brown, they're trans, and they're really like moving through New York. They may be in shelters or they may be in like assisted living programs. And so we provide case management services also so that they have support when they're trying to get like food stamps or Medicaid enrollment or um, you know, like cash assistance. So I think our biggest programs and what we really love is that we have absolutely free mental health counseling and case management, but we also do a lot of like fun groups. Like we have like a ballroom dancing group. Um, we do like Vogue Femme Fridays where we have like actual like ballroom competitions. Um, and then we also have like just like monthly parties where people can come together, they can eat, they can have prizes. Um, and I, you know, I think like really the purpose for us is to just have like a consistent space for people to come to and feel that they're a part of the community and take care of themselves and take care of each other. Yeah, that's, that is so amazing. And is it just, cause when I was reading about it, it said in 38 states across the country per year. So there is a New York location, but it's like a national organization. Correct me if I'm wrong. So there, it's the only like actual location right now is in New York City, but something that HMI does is that they actually connect with other organizations like across the United States as a way of ensuring that if you're in like, you know, some, if you're in the suburbs of Ohio where you're not, really having the space that you have in New York City to be yourself, that there is like someplace you can go to get support. But the only location right now is New York. Um, and then we're also offering remote services right now for people in other states as a part of like an adjustment to mental health laws during COVID where we can actually, you know, meet on Zoom for therapy with youth who are in like Pennsylvania or Indiana. Okay. So that's all part of it. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. So can you talk to me a little bit about your work there? Kind of like, what's your role? What do you do? What does like a typical day look like? All that good stuff. Yeah. So I think right now it's like a little bit wacky because we are, 
hybrid a bit, like we're, like we're all there three days a week in person and then two days remotely. Um, and this is actually because our counseling team grew significantly during COVID because the number of people that requested mental health services like increased exponentially. Like to give you context, our wait list was normally like 15 to 20 people. And right now it's like consistently at like 60, 65 people wow. that need therapy. Um, and so our team grew and so we don't have that much space in terms of offices. So we all sort of rotate. So if I'm at home, I'm mostly just on Zoom meeting with folks one-on-one -on -one for counseling. Um, but when I'm in person, I'm meeting with folks still, but also I'm helping run programs. So from three to seven, three to eight, depending on the day, we have programming. So at 3.30 when we open, we offer snacks, people just hang out. And then from four to five is one group therapy. Then five to six dinner, and we come together and we have dinner. And then six to seven, six to 7.30 is another group. And so they know what to expect. They come, they can be a part of groups, but they can also just hang out. We always offer dinner so that they can eat. So one of my roles is really just making sure that that program is running smoothly. And if I'm a counselor on call, then that night, I'm supporting with any crises that may come up. So, you know, we often have folks come in and they've had a really awful day maybe, and they're really activated. And so something sort of happens or they're tearful and they want to talk to someone. So I just try to make sure that any of those crises that come up where immediate support is given. Um, so I hope, I think that's helpful. I'm sorry. I feel like no. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're so, that's so good. Mm -hmm. I'm, I just have more, more and more questions every time you say something yeah. Do you. Um, do you specifically specialize in drama therapy at HMI as well? And are you doing similar like group work with like theater or is it more, you know, whatever they need from you that day? Yeah, I think that for a long time when we were coming back from COVID, it was really whatever they needed. But I am um, a registered drama therapist and a licensed creative arts therapist. So my, my, the, what I provide mostly is really that, you know, attention um, to youth using drama therapy um right now we actually have another another drama therapist on staff and he's running um the current drama therapy group which is called the puppet pandemic project and so it's actually a group where they're using puppets and they're creating puppets as a way of processing um loss and grief from covid so a lot of our young people have people who passed away during covid due to covid so they're using puppets and they're staging a play actually this upcoming weekend um and i can give more information about that later for folks who are interested but yeah. that's the current drama therapy group but we always run plays of our lives which is a group about writing plays that are connect directly connected to your life so that, that's what happens in drama therapy awesome um, um i guess i'm a little curious like i know there's like a I'm gonna ask you like at the end for like a call out of how you can really help, but I know there's a bunch of like volunteer opportunities from what I saw and potentially like an upcoming ball in November that seemed like it was like a big thing that could maybe yeah. require volunteers and or donations. Yeah, yeah. So we, at HMI, we are always looking for volunteers. So something that we really love is volunteers who are looking to come and serve dinner or help us like distribute like pantry packages and pantry packages include like clothing, toiletries, like things that people really need that I don't think all of us often think about. Like if we don't need a toothbrush, then we're not thinking about that, but there's plenty of people who really need those things. 
Um, and so we have volunteers put together these packages. We have volunteers serving dinner. Um, when we have special events, like we always have like a holiday grab and go where a number of companies, including Nordstrom, like they come and give out like Christmas holiday gifts. Um, and we need volunteers to help put gifts together to get the gift out. Um, and what you're talking about in November is actually our like annual fundraiser. And so last year for the first time, it was at, it was at um, a pier on, on the river and it was like an all competition. And so for that, we always need volunteers for that. But also if you have the financial capacity, you can always buy a ticket. There's plenty of pricing levels, but all of that money goes directly to the counseling case management team providing free therapy for LGBTQ youth. So no matter if you have money or the time to volunteer, everything is going directly to the program and helping us continue to stay open. That's amazing. And I'll definitely link all of that stuff to the episode. Um, but kind of pivoting to like more macro things, uh, when you first reached out to me on email, we were talking a bit about like your work and what you do. You mentioned that like you like to talk about what it means to be LGBTQ in New York City. And I would love to to hear you speak to that more for both people who are allies, people just who are listeners and people who are a part of the community or maybe figuring out what that looks like for them. Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, I think New York City is an incredible place to be. And, and I think that I am like in awe of the number of programs that exist to support the LGBTQ community. Um, I will say though that, you know, I think we're, we're in a moment where the challenge is really how to engage with other people and be in community. I think like, I think COVID really disrupted that. And so for so many young people, that was two years where they were not in community. And so the question for them is like, how do I really build, how do I build that? How do I move towards that? And so a place like HMI is a part of that solution, which is providing space where you can come to and you know that there are other people who identify with you, who get you, who can support you. Um, and I, I think like more broadly, um, there's always this like assumption that like being like a part of the LGBTQ community is so easy in New York City, but actually like it's just as difficult. Like it can be really difficult for people, especially if you're up against these larger systems like the shelter system or like just like, you know, like the financial system, like having the money to really exist in the way that you want to. So. Um, I just say that because I think that being an ally is really something that extends beyond the month of June, like to really check in with people in your life, to ask them how they're doing, um, and to do anything you can. I mean, something that you've done that I'm like always so excited about is like posting when different organizations need supplies, when there is like a fundraiser happening, challenging people to donate even a dollar, right? Like a dollar makes a difference. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think there's plenty that you can do, but you just have to really find a way. So if you live on the Upper East Side, is there a shelter near you where you can go and stop once a week and serve dinner or something like that? Like, it doesn't have to be Hedrick Martin. I work there and I'd love to have folks, but it can be anywhere. I'm definitely gonna pull up and come through because I feel like week to week, I donate a lot to mutual aid. So like I keep an eye out and I'm always, you know, like sending on Venmos. Like 
But for me, I feel like that's yeah. easy. And for some people, that's not the bare minimum. But, like, I have the financial means to do that. So it kind of is the bare minimum in my brain. But I have not done, like, a ton of community organizing in person, mostly because of the pandemic. Like, there weren't that many opportunities to do that. But I feel like now that things are a bit better, it's definitely, like, kind of the floodgates are open. And if you have, like, the ability, people should really be lending a hand. Yeah, of course. And something I was thinking about for you is, like, we sometimes have people come in who are volunteers or guests and they lead like a special group so like you can come in and do like a writing workshop with folks yeah. we have tons of folks who love writing and like, their goals do what you're doing which is writing a book right yeah and you just have to really think about yourself and what you have in terms of an offering like what can you offer these young people um so that's for everyone to think about like if you have something and you want to contact me and we can sort of dream it up together. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. That's awesome. So kind of going off of that, I, um, I have like a two part thing when you were saying before, like there's this misconception that like being LGBTQIA plus in New York city is easy, but it's actually not something that like kind of opened my eyes recently was like the sheer amount of misinformation that already exists about monkeypox, even though it's like literally not even been in existence for that long. And like last night I was like doing some research about like, you know, how it can be contracted and like all these things. And I was looking at all of these headlines and I was like, this is like, fucked up for lack of a better phrase because like they're making it like these mega news outlets and like daily mail who is for all intents and purposes a joke but a joke that people take seriously is, is basically pinning it as this like quote gay man's disease unquote when like literally anyone can get it it's transferable by respiratory particles if i'm not being mistaken and also in certain cases like contact with an item if somebody else had it and touched it so like it doesn't it's not really it's not computing for me, but like there's already stigma and it's already going to harm a community. Yes. And I, I, it just kind of blew my mind. Yeah, I, I think that this is, it's it's really terrifying to think of the, the language that's being used and the way that it's being stigmatized and right, like uh, my thesis for grad school was around the impact of angels in America on gay men. And so when I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about like what that meant for people, what it communicated to people. And now I'm looking at this and thinking about the same thing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that like this is where we're at and this is how we're framing it. And I'm disappointed that there are plenty of people who are doing work in this city where they have incredibly close contact with many, many people and they're not able to get a vaccine because they identify a certain way. Um, And actually what's happening is that people are just lying because they're scared because we've created this like extremely fearful situation for people and we're not actually being honest about what what we should be thinking or what we should be doing. Uh, And that impacts Right, that impacts the LGBTQ community yeah. because then I have people that I'm hearing are saying like, well, I have all these gay roommates, like I'm gonna get monkeypox. And I'm like, That's... you can get it in a lot of ways. And yeah. actually like they, what they wanted to happen is happening, which yeah. is for, you know, this intense fear. Yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah I, I watched last night an epidemiologist breaking it down and talking about it. And she was talking about like how much more difficult it is to get this than COVID, but how like the way the media is spinning it, like, and like, yes, you should be careful. And like, yes, there are plenty of things that you can do to take precaution. And yes, if you're able to get a vaccine, you should get it. But she was saying like the fear mongering that's being put out there is making it seem like this is like something that like, she was saying that it's been being blown out of proportion by so much by people who have no idea what they're talking about. 
Yes. Yes. So messy. And I, and I actually think, you know, there's some people that are so afraid and they don't know the truth. And I, and I feel, I feel for them because to just be hearing so much information and to not know what's true or what is like, I think that that's really scary. And, yeah. you know, we obviously didn't learn anything from COVID because no. here we are with another pandemic, another emergency. Right. And like, we have not done, we've not done well for people to actually feel safe and feel supported. Yeah. Um, not yeah and with what you were saying before about angels in america i just wanted to like in my brain like a light went off <laughs> if people haven't read it because i don't know if you can see the play like i don't know where you're going to see the play right now it was revived and it was also yeah. done when i was in college and it was it's a brilliant but you can read it it's by tony kushner it's a play it's long but i think it's like a i would say it's like a necessary reading list staple Yes, I think it's, you know, I think it's necessary. And I think that if, you know, there's the mini series that HBO did, I think that's on HBO Max right now. Like if you're interested and you're wanting to get a glimpse of it, like that mini series would give you that. Um, but, you know, my intention with the thesis was actually, uh, you know, to say that it's necessary and that like there are so many other LGBTQ narratives that exist. And so like, why was this the one that like broke the barrier? Why is yeah. this the one that revived? Like what other queer storytelling is there on Broadway or isn't there? And like, what does that mean for us? Um, so now, you know, like, three years later after writing that to see something like A Strange Loop finally make it on Broadway. Amazing. Like, you know, I wish I was writing this thesis right now because yeah. that would be a completely different piece. Yeah. Um, so I think it's necessary. And if you haven't read Angels in America, it's worth reading. But I also think it's important to ask yourself, like, do you see yourself in this piece? And if you don't, like, what kind of piece would you want to see? Because that's all, that's what drama therapy is too. It's like, where do I not exist in the narrative? And like, what kind of narrative do I want for myself? Yeah, I think this is a really good segue to a question that a lot of my followers ask when I have guests on that are experts in this, or just in general, whenever I'm doing something with someone that, that has an expertise or is a part of the community, a lot of my followers will be like, I'm a straight person and I don't really know how to be a good ally. Like, how can mm. I be a better ally? And I like yeah. kind of come up wordless because I feel like I try my best, but it's also not really my place to say. Like, it's not my place to put the medal around my neck, like ally. Like, I have to earn that from the community. So I guess I'm yeah. wondering, in your words and and with your experience in mind, like, how can we all be better allies? Sure. Well, I think to start off, like you know, I, you, I, I don't. People should not worry themselves about earning this badge, right? Like you should just think about the word ally and think about the people in your life and ask yourself if you are supporting them. Yeah. Um, and even beyond that, you can ask, like to just ask your friends, like, do you feel supported, right? Like, I don't, like, this is what's interesting because I think that you sort of, that you touch on this a lot around like the way to maintain like best friendships and the way that people maintain like partnerships or yeah. like significant relationships, right? And I think like we don't ask our close friends enough, like, do you feel supported or like what can I do for you? So yes. I think like that is something that everyone should just do immediately. Like, doesn't matter if they're LGBTQ or not, like, am I supporting my friends? Because that's like number one. Um, and you know, number two is like there's this poet, Rafael Campo, who's also a doctor, and something he often writes about is that like 
the world is so crazy that we like, we don't bear witness to what's happening and like part of the requirement for like do, like taking action is bearing witness and like making observations about what you see and then finding ways to take action if you're wanting to make a change and so i think that's also a part of allyship and i think that's probably the hardest because it requires you to really just bear witness to what's happening and think about like your positionality and the privilege you have and what yeah. you can do that yeah. um but people should just talk about it with their friends yeah like, people to talk more i think yeah no i completely agree with that and i i learned this when i was in college i feel like I had this realization that when I was asking people questions, I was like doing that right. And not even just as it relates to the LGBTQ community, but like my friends in general. But then when I was listening to their responses, I was sort of listening to respond and not listening to listen to them. And that kind of like, I had this realization where I was like, I was listening, like crafting a response in my head. But what I really should have been doing was like listening to listen to what they had to say and then developing something to say back. Or maybe just being like, I'm going to sit with that for a second. Do you know what I mean? So I really appreciate like what you said about bearing witness and being so intentional about that because it is something that we don't really do or we forget to do it a lot. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a good one. Um, okay, so I have two more questions for you to close it out. The first one is... <laughs> If you have like a call out for my audience and listeners of what we can do to help, what we can do for you, what we can do for HMI, what would it be? Like be as grandiose as you want to be. Like you never know who's listening. <laughs> I mean, I think that really like what I'm hoping is that for anyone listening who is motivated by what we're talking about, that you can absolutely research LGBTQ organizations that are in your area and find ways to volunteer. I would absolutely love for people to volunteer at HMI. Um, I can give you information that you can include in the podcast so that people have an easy way of emailing. Um, but we always need volunteers. There's so much work to do and we just don't have enough time. Like, you know, we have to rest. So we really ask that other people come and help us. Um, if you have the money, please buy tickets to our gala in November. Um, this is truly the one time a year where all of that money is going to making sure that we can continue to provide free therapy, group therapy, case management to young people. Um, and, you know, I also just want to highlight that, like, for people in New York City, that there is so much work to be done. Yeah. And that if you have the means to bring supplies to some place, to donate to some place, that you really, really should do that. Um, you know, there's like a TikToker, Courtney, who like has documented living in a shelter. In New I York know City. Courtney. Okay, and this is like fabulous to me because what this is doing is like alerting people who have no idea what it means to live in a shelter and letting them know where the gaps are. And so if she's saying that, you know, it's like $250 out of someone's food stamps a month to live in a shelter where there's portable food, what we need to be doing is finding ways to interrupt that. So yeah. we need to bring food to shelters, right? Like we all the food that we don't have at HMI that we don't give away, we like try to give to other places, like take this back to your shelter. So yeah. if you live near a shelter, you need to investigate and see what you can do. Take supplies, take food. Like we have to, we have to be more aware of what's around us, like where you live and what can you do within your community? Absolutely. I just looked up Courtney's Courtney. all of this, but you know, yeah. this is what everyone should be doing. So Courtney's at, if anyone wants it, is court, like a tennis court, and then zero, O was zero. I've been following Courtney for like, I think a year. We became like 
friendly with each other on TikTok back when she had like 20,000, 30,000 followers. And I was like, I'm learning so much. I feel so fucking ignorant. And um, I think she's going to come on my podcast. So hopefully you guys will hear more of her story in the future. But thank you for that. And to close it out, I always like to ask kind of a fun question. And so given that you're a theater person, I'm curious, what is like your favorite Broadway show musical of all time? Like just one that gets you going. Of all time? It doesn't have to be all time. It could also just be like my current obsession is, you know. Okay. One of my current, I will just say like my current obsession right now um, is truly like MJ on Broadway. Like that is one of my current obsessions. I'm constantly blown away by the people on stage. Um, And I will just say my favorite play of all time is probably The Laramie Project, which has been a really important queer Read it. That people should read if they haven't. So yeah. um, at the Laramie Project, it's also on HBO Max. It's so heartbreaking and brilliant. And MJ is so <laughs> good. I was literally like jaw dropped when I saw it. Yes, yes. One of my callings right now is if people can afford a ticket that they need to like buy people who can't see that show tickets because now it's like, it's so, so expensive. High, highly priced. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm 100% going to get all that information from you to include in the episode description. And then also, like, we'll subgroup and break off because I would love to come in and volunteer. Like, and however I can help, I would love to be a help. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm like in awe of the way that you make space for other voices. You know, I'm not a TikToker, I'm not famous. Um, but I really want people to know about drama therapy and the work that Patrick Martin does. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you, and we will talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye.